Today, I'm visiting the offices of BWXT on Monacan Road in Peterborough. Who is BWXT? What do they do? From their website, at BWXT Nuclear Energy Canada Peterborough, we assemble can-do fuel bundles for can-do reactors. The natural uranium pellets are produced at our Toronto facility, and the zirconium alloy tubes are manufactured at our Arnprior facility. These components are shipped to our Peterborough operation, where they are assembled into fuel bundles that meet stringent requirements of reactor operating conditions. Now, BWXT has been in the news recently as they are applying to renew uh, and extend their Class 1B nuclear fuel facility operating license uh, for 10 years. They want to be able to assemble these nuclear fuel pellets, currently made in Toronto, here in Building 21 of the legacy GE site in Peterborough, diagonally across Monaghan Road from Prince Wales Elementary School. Just before New Year's, I hosted a panel discussion with members of CARN, which is the Citizens Against Radioactive Neighborhoods. Who is CARN? From their website. We are a local nonprofit organization created to stop BWXT from manufacturing uranium oxide pellets in downtown Peterborough. Industrial processes that carry significant risk do not belong in residential areas just meters away from school. Industrial processes that carry significant risk should be subject to full environmental assessments and demand full scrutiny of public attention. An audio of this panel discussion with Karn was broadcast on Trent Radio January 9th and posted at pintsandpolitics.ptbopodcasters.ca. The purpose of today's panel is to ask questions and learn more about BWXT's plans. In the spirit of full disclosure, I have since participated in a few CARN events and will be submitting an intervention to the Canadian Nuclear Safety Commission, or CNSC, for January 27th. And I live 0.6 of a kilometre from the plant, so my family and I are, quote-unquote, in the hood. Joining me today is Natalie Cutler, BWXT's Director of Community and Government Relations, Ted Richardson, Director of Fuel Operations, and David Snowpeck, Director of Environmental Health, Safety, and Regulatory. So my, my question, starting off here, what is BWXT's risk management process from a neighborhood point of view? What about emergency preparedness? And what are the risks? And how does BWXT propose managing them? What sort of liability insurance does BWXT carry in relation to surrounding neighborhoods? Oh, thanks, Bill. Um, this yeah, is, sure, uh, give me your name. This is, uh, this is Dave Snowpack. Um, so, so BWXT has a, a very well-established environmental management program uh, at both of our facilities, uh, including here in Peterborough um, and in Toronto, where we currently manufacture pellets. And that environmental management program looks at, first, what aspects do we need to be monitoring in association with the work that we do? And clearly, uranium is the material that we use primarily uh, in manufacturing the fuel bundles and manufacturing the pellets that go into those. Uh, So we have a a multi-tiered kind of defense in depth uh, management program around environmental emissions. Uh, One thing that's really important to understand is that when we're talking about uranium, it's weakly radioactive. It's not highly radioactive. And our people work around it all the time. So 2,000 hours a year, we have people working with this material in both of our facilities and doing it safely. The other thing to understand is that um, from an environmental management perspective, the, uh, the uranium material is, by and large, inside process equipment. That process equipment is inside the plant where there's ventilation. And the thing about particulate, and uranium is a particulate, 
uh, is it's very effectively uh, removed through filtration. Uh, there's uh, fantastic filtration devices called HEPA filters, which are high efficiency particulate air filters. And they're able to remove 99.97% of the particulate from air. Uh, so we're kind of going up that defense in depth. Um, we remove the particulate from the air and we're also monitoring all of our exhaust stacks. So mm -hmm. we know um, at all times what those um, releases are and we can quantify the, that. We monitor 24-7. Uh, so we've got a number of features that we have through the facility to make sure that we're not making an environmental uh, impact on the community. Thank you. All right, well, thanks very much for that, Dave. Now, for the neighborhood, what about the proximity of this Peterborough plant here on Monaghan Road to Prince of Wales School, diagonally across the street? Would you send your child to Prince of Wales Elementary School? Uh, Natalie Cutler, yes, uh, I absolutely would send my child to Prince of Wales. Um, I the 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 Peterborough facility is a near zero emissions facility, and you know in our application for license renewal, we did request the flexibility for the flexibility to conduct pelleting, pelleting operations uh, should the need arise in that 10 year license period, and and. You know, I want to be clear that our Toronto operations, which does this currently, does so extremely safely. And even there, the, the emissions are about 1% of the regulatory limit, so extremely low uh, emissions to air and 0.3% of the regulatory limit for water emissions to water or uranium to water. So extremely safe, both what we're doing in Toronto and, uh, and Peterborough, such that I absolutely would, with full confidence, would send my child, and I, and I have a 12-year-old I love, and I would send her there, uh, absolutely. So that, uh, that, that is unequivocally my response. Now, granted, BWXT is not GE, although I understand that some of the GE employees, or quite a few of them, came over. But be that as it may, there has been a wave of cancer deaths among former GE and GE Hitachi workers in Peterborough. I've interviewed Jim Dufresne, a former GE worker with 42 years at the plant and over 20 years with GE Nuclear. He has kept track of 175 GE Nuclear slash Hitachi employees. 64 of them have died of cancer. According to Dufresne, there have been an unusually high number of cancer cases reported along streets close to the plant, Wolf, Patterson, and Albert Streets. How safe will this new operation be for neighborhoods and for the workers? Will soil and air tests be done on, a regular, on regular interviews? Will residents of adjacent neighborhoods have access to these results? I'll maybe take the first part of that, Bill. So the the first part of the question is on on the impact to the community and the health impacts to the community. You know, we can't speak to, you know, the 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 claims on, you know, exposure to, to workers for the GE plant. I mean, I want to, to make clear that the BWXT, we purchased the nuclear part of, of the campus, which was originally or previously called GE Hitachi Nuclear Energy Canada, uh, comprises a small portion of the complex on Monaghan Road. 
and 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 we operate that facility safely as i mentioned well below regulatory limits and we know of no wsib claims uh, tied to the nuclear operations um having said that you know we're fully supportive of the wsib process and would absolutely cooperate with any claims made uh for investigations etc so uh, but you know we we know of none at the at this point to, tied to the nuclear uh division um, and so i you know we 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 understand that there is that those concerns are there uh but the 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 relation to the nuclear business is not something that we have uh, a black and white connection to in in our understanding of uh through the WSIB process maybe dave can speak to um the the second part of your question sure bill you asked about monitoring uh and and what types of monitoring would be done sure. um in in the case that pelleting would be conducted in in Peterborough and, and really there's a few parts to that and I'll kind of go through them fairly quickly uh, one is we've been doing this operation of pelleting that is in Toronto safely for over 50 years uh so we have a great basis upon which we fully understand what the operation is uh, we fully understand what controls are required uh and and how to manage those controls effectively so what we've done uh, is we've we've looked at our operation in Toronto and we've looked at if we were to do pelleting in Peterborough what additional environmental monitoring would we do and we published that on our webpage it's available to the public but really there's there's a couple of things that would be done in addition to what we do right now in Peterborough Uh, one is that we would be doing uh, in addition to monitoring of the stacks themselves we would be doing monitoring uh, around the perimeter of the facility uh, they're called high volume air monitors so we do that in Toronto and if pelleting were to be done here we do that here as well and the other thing is we would do routine uh, soil sampling uh, around the facility uh, both on the facility and in the public areas outside the facility to ensure you know we talked about defense in depth earlier and that would be an additional defense in depth both those programs actually would be to make sure that you know there isn't something coming up from the facility that would be accumulating in the soil um getting past perhaps other defenses um so that's something that we we do in Toronto and we do it here and as a matter of fact we'd set that up um before any change to the operation so we had a really good baseline uh for those two things so baseline testing has been done already so if we as part of our, if we were to to do pelleting here we would make sure that we establish the baseline as the status quo okay. um and and so we do that prior to to any kind of a of a change um he also asked about results are they available to people every year we produce what's called our annual compliance report as a matter of fact we're starting to pull it together right now for the last calendar year and we submit that to the CNSC and post it on our webpage and that provides a, a really detailed summary of our operations emissions and monitoring results for the prior calendar year as a matter of fact i think we've got 6 or 7 years worth of uh, annual compliance reports on our webpage Uh, there's other testing that's done as well the CNSC you may be aware comes in every 2 mm-hmm. to 3 years and does what they call an independent environmental monitoring program where the CNSC does air monitoring and soil sampling and vegetation testing uh, entirely independently from ourselves to verify once again another layer of defense in depth um that uh that what we're what we're saying is in fact correct uh from an independent perspective Thank you.
Okay, thanks. Now, on the point of uh, WSIB claims, uh, I've been given to understand from former employees that a few claims, well, a number of claims have gone forward. Uh, some have been refused, and there's a film out that's on the CBC Gem website right now called Town of Widows. It's playing at the Reframe Film, film Fest that documents the WSIB claims, the deaths, and so on, that descri- well, I shouldn't say documents, describes them, interviews with people with as the title of the film implies. So that's out there. And in, in the the mind of, uh, at least well, for myself, that's still an open one. Uh, now, what, uh, what about long-range business plans? Once this license is granted, how long will the manufacture of pellets be done in Peterborough? You're applying for a 10-year license. What if the market changes? Pickering will eventually close. I think uh, Doug Ford extended it for another year just last week. If the small, the SMRs, the small modular reactors for Ontario become a reality, will these new operations provide enough market for BWXT? Germany, I understand, is getting out of nuclear as a result of the, the Fukushima disaster. Suppose the technology improves for alternative sources energy sources like solar, wind, and thermal. Suppose there are breakthroughs in battery technology that enables these alternative sources to be more viable. What are the plans for eventual decommissioning? So um, I'll maybe start, you know, your question about uh, palleting. I want to make clear that there's no current plans to to change our operations in Peterborough or Toronto. The, The flexibility we're seeking is to adapt to to market changes in market dynamics that we currently don't have a crystal ball for um, and due to the license period uh, being 10 years and the the process for license amendment being a, a time-consuming one uh, we felt this was the right time to request or seek that flexibility uh, so so we can't really speak to how long we would do it again it's speculatory that we would we would do pelleting in Peterborough uh, you know, two, I can't speak specifically to the, you know, SMRs and, and provision for fuel to SMRs. We would need a new license altogether to produce fuel for, for different technologies. Right now, we're, we're currently only licensed to produce natural uranium uh, fuel pellets and bundles for the CANDU the can-do industry. Um, I might hand it to Dave to talk a little bit about decommissioning plans for your question there. Sure. Um, could you correct me here? My understanding is the SMRs would need enriched uranium? I am not a pundit on that particular question. I, I believe some okay. SMR technology okay. uh, requires enriched. Um, again, we would need a completely different license. Uh, we're not licensed to handle enriched uranium. We do not handle enriched uranium. Thanks, Natalie. It's Dave Smilpec. Um Yeah, that, that's right. We're not licensed to use enriched uranium. Um, we use only natural uranium and depleted uranium. Um, but let me, Bill, if I can answer the part of the question on, on decommissioning. Uh, under the CNSC uh, licensing uh, regime, uh, there's a requirement for all licensees to have a, a a decommissioning plan that's maintained for each facility. So we have one of those for Toronto. We have one of those for Peterborough. Uh, in the case um, that a, a facility needs to be decommissioned, um, there's actually a financial instrument that we maintain for both facilities to ensure that the funds are available to decommission the facilities. So 
if pelleting were to be done in Peterborough, then certainly that decommissioning plan would need to be updated. Um, and uh, it follows that the financial guarantee instrument that secures the funds in place uh, would need to be updated as well for the revised operation. Does that extend to the neighborhood or the surrounding area, that decommissioning plan? The decommissioning plan is, um, is the goal of the decommissioning plan is to bring the site back to a condition where it doesn't need regulatory control by the CNSC. And there's, there, there's no off-site consequence that needs to be mitigated. So really, it's okay. just cleaning. It's uh, basically at a high-level bill. It's uh, removing the, the, the material that we use, the uranium, um, and then cleaning the facility. Uh, and removing the equipment. So it's largely uh, uh, inside the buildings uh, is, the, is the main part of the scope. Right. Okay. Thanks, Dave. Uh, now, given that CNSC is, in effect, a captured regulator, uh, they are highly likely to grant the new license to BWXT, uh, you know, and um, certainly uh, people at CARN are under no uh, delusions that way. So the research done by CARN indicates that the pellet manufacturing that is currently being done in Toronto will most likely come to Peterborough when that decision is made. Why is this move necessary? What has been the impact of your plant in the Lansdowne DuPont neighborhood of Toronto? This neighborhood used to be industrial. Now it is transitioning to residential. I have been told that the neighbors close to the Toronto plant are buying Geiger counters to test their surroundings and that pressure from condominium owners is a factor in this relocation. Apparently, the property values in the neighborhood surrounding the Toronto plant are among the lowest in the GTA. What are the implications for Peterborough homeowners? If property values fall, will we be compensated? Let me guess. You know, so I, I just want to, again, reinforce that there's no current plan to to bring piloting to Peterborough or to change our operations in Toronto. We, we've been operating in Toronto downtown for for over 50 years safely. Um, yes, the, the landscape has changed and evolved over that period of time. We've seen more residential grow around our plant, and, and we've continued to be a good uh, neighbor. Okay, so we, we host uh, community barbecues every year. We, we send uh, newsletters to our, our, uh, our neighboring communities to ensure they know who we are and what we do. We, we hosted an information night, both communities. Uh, we do what I'm referring to for Toronto and Peterborough as well with community barbecue. So, you know, the fact that, you know, that some may be posing or, or have opinions about uh, nuclear, it gives us an opportunity to, to, to strengthen our program. Our communications uh, goal is to ensure our neighbours know who we are, you know, and what we do and, and that what we do is safe. Um, so we'll continue to do that, and 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 we look forward to engaging with more neighbors to help them understand our impact to uh, to Ontario. Ontario is a, a very um, fortunate province in that it 58% of its power is generated by nuclear. Nuclear being clean, affordable, uh, emissions-free power, and and BWXT in Peterborough and Toronto contribute to about half of the fuel for that nuclear power. So, you know, we're very proud to be in that position to to have that type of impact on clean air, on you know, the positive impact on climate change. And, you know, we do really we do really want to highlight that that uh, nuclear is uh, very important in clean air as 
Um, we saw in 2014 with the closure of the coal plants that in Ontario, nuclear stepping in to fill quite a bit of that gap, we, we no longer suffer smog days. So, you know, I, I think, you know, a lot of it is education. Um, uh, you know, we look forward to doing more education with our communities, uh, with our outreach, and uh, and, and to, to hopefully uh, explain the, the benefits of nuclear and the benefits of what BWXT offers to nuclear. question is, is is BWT moving to Peterborough or is BWXT moving away from Toronto? It becoming awkward to stay in Toronto or why is the move happening? So again, um, I'll reinforce there is no current plan to change our operations. So we've been in Toronto for over 50 years making the natural uranium fuel pellets that are assembled into fuel bundles in Peterborough. The fuel bundles in Peterborough uh, similarly have been produced for that same amount of time, and uh, there's no current plan to change that. So, so you know, there's really no desire to move. I, I guess you would say there's no current plan. It's flexibility we're looking for uh, in the 10-year license period due to unforeseen changes in market dynamics that we would need to react to, and this is the right time to seek that flexibility. Okay. Okay. Now, uh, BWXC may uh, be able to control the risks on the manufacturing side quite well. I mean, as I said, (laughs) I'm not a physicist uh, or or an engineer. Um, So the odds are, and totally making this up here, but uh, from my perspective, the odds are that uh, there may not, that a serious accident in Peterborough, the odds are quite low. The same may be true for radioactive contamination in the neighborhood. I don't know. But I do know that manufacturing processes and environmental contamination are physical processes and subject to the laws of science. Property values, however, particularly property values in neighborhoods deemed to be of questionable safety, are subject to market forces and the laws of perception, not the laws of science. So nothing untoward may ever happen at this plant. Yet in 10 years, if the market perception is that this neighborhood is quote-unquote, contaminated or unsafe, our properties, and here I'm speaking as as a neighbor of the plant, our properties may be worth much less than they are today. Apart from selling and moving now, what can homeowners in the neighborhood of this plant do to manage this financial risk? Uh, Maybe take the second part of that question and and let Dave speak to the first part. Or, um, you know, we, we can't really have, we can't really speak to our role in the value of properties, I would say that our contribution to the community. Um, what I'd say, uh, you know, BWXT's contribution to our community is significant. You know, we ha- we offer high-paying, high-skilled jobs for Peterboroughians um, and the surrounding communities. And so we feel our contribution to the community is, is a significant one. And we we're very proud to be a part of Peterborough. Um, proud to have some of the industry's, you know, brightest minds in nuclear working for us. We have approximately 100 engineers here, uh, very uh, skilled technicians, and, and our contributions to nuclear are significant and that benefit all Ontarians, uh, Peterborians included. We're also quite um, 
proud to be a contributing member of our community in volunteerism uh, and, and support for organizations. So, you know, we we do not believe that we have a, a detrimental impact on our community in any way, and uh, and can't really opine on property values um, because our, we we feel our contribution is significantly positive. Okay, thank you. Now, uh, how much uranium dioxide will be entering and exiting the city with your proposed, should it come to Peterborough, proposed pelleting operation? Monaghan Road is already a congested, busy street. Is it wise to add trucks with highly dangerous materials on them to this mix? Bill, right now we manufacture uh, the pellets in, in Toronto, and, and we manufacture from uh, powder that's, that's shipped from our supplier in Port Hope. Um, and then, of course, we manufacture those pellets, and we ship them to Peterborough, where we assemble them into into fuel bundles. Uh, from a transportation perspective, if if operations were consolidated in Peterborough, we'd actually be eliminating some transportation, whereby the powder would come directly to Peterborough, and it really, in terms of differences, it would replace the bundles or sorry, the pellets, excuse me, the pellets being shipped to Peterborough. Uh, so I, I wouldn't see uh, much, if any, of a change in terms of material uh, that's being transported uh, through Peterborough. Thank you. And will this proposed operation, should it come here, be eventually supplying the export market to the U.S.? Would this mean producing pellets from uh, depleted uranium? Uh, currently, um, BWXT manufactures uh, natural uranium pellets and depleted uranium pellets, uh, primarily for the can-do industry, but we have in the past uh, and, and we do and are able to uh, to supply natural uranium pellets uh, to uh, to other markets as well. Um, there's other reactor technologies that use natural uranium pellets in small amounts. Um, we can and have, have done that in the past. Could you, for our listeners, describe the difference between the natural and depleted in terms of risk, contamination, safety? Over to you. Sure, no problem. Um, you know, kind of briefly here, natural uranium is called natural uranium because, like when you mine gold or you mine iron, you're, you're, you're basically pulling an element out of the ground. You're refining it to get only that element, but you're not changing its isotopics. Hmm. You're not changing it from, a, uh, from an isotope perspective. Um, and uranium consists of three different isotopes of uranium at a certain distribution found in nature, and that's the uranium that we primarily use. Uh, and, and the one advantage of the Kandu reactor is that you can use natural uranium mm-hmm. in the Kandu reactor, which is a great safety feature for the technology. Um, other uh, countries primarily enrich the uranium, which means they change it on a nuclear scale or on an atomic scale to change the distribution of isotopes so that the isotope that gives the power in a reactor is increased from that found in nature. Okay. We don't do that in Kandu reactors. We're not licensed to handle that enriched uranium, uh, but a lot of other countries uh, do do that. We handle only natural uranium mm-hmm. and depleted uranium. So depleted uranium mm-hmm. is changed in the isotopics, but in a way that actually is um, deficient or reduced in that isotope that actually gives you the power in the reactor. So it's the opposite of enriching. It's actually kind of... a it's kind of a, a, a less powerful, if you will, uh, kind of form of, of the uranium. So I think that causes a okay. lot of confusion, actually, because there's a, a misunderstanding of what the depleted is. Is it more dangerous than natural? Yes. And in fact, it's not. It's actually reduced in the isotope of uranium that actually gives mm-hmm. the power in a reactor. 
So a huge advantage for the can-do industry generally, and our facility in particular, is, is that we don't have enriched uranium. There's not the possibility of act, what they call accidental criticality, which mm -hmm. is a reaction that happens in a nuclear reactor. Um, that is not a concern. It's not possible mm -hmm. in a fuel manufacturing facility mm -hmm. that works with natural or depleted uranium, uh, which is a which is a very which is a key safety feature of our both of our facilities. Now, just winding down here, uh, what happens to contaminated water from the pelleting process. Now, you, you spoke earlier about filtering. I understand, indeed, it will be cleaned and filtered. Then where does it go from there? Is it true that the water ends up in Little Lake and the Otonabee River? So you asked about the pelleting operation. Yeah. Um, so in where we currently do um, pelleting is in Toronto. Mm -hmm. um, the pelleting operation, uh, like fuel bundle assembly, actually, uh, really doesn't use water for the process. The, the, actually, the, the biggest source of water in our pelleting operation is from doing laundry. Uh, so this is <laughs> our personnel use. Uh, you can imagine uh, lab coats, coveralls, that sort of thing, and we launder those. So the biggest source of water that we have is is laundry. Uh, the second biggest source comes from washing the floors and decontaminating equipment. So there's very little water that's actually used in the production process of mm -hmm. pellets. Um, however. Uh, the water that we do use in laundry and from cleaning floors does have the potential to pick up that uranium because we're using it to clean. So what we do is we we actually have um, a pair of tanks which allows us to accumulate water and treat it. And mm -hmm. once that tank is treated, we sample it to make sure that the treatment was effective in bringing the uh, level down to the acceptable level. Uh, if it's not, we don't release that water. We retreat it. And only when it reaches the level, below the level that we, uh, we have for water releases, would we release at that point to the sewer. So unlike a process that is continuously uh, emitting uh, or releasing, uh, we have this batch process, which allows us to intervene and say, no, we, we don't meet the result that we, that we need. We're not going to make that release decision. We're going to retreat it and at that point release. Fair enough. Thanks very much. I understand that the pellet manufacturing process, should it come here, requires the storage of a large supply of liquid hydrogen. Apparently there's a 9,000-gallon tank, I believe. What safety protocols are in place to ensure that the storage and use of this um, highly uh, flammable substance is safe for the surrounding neighborhood? So you're right. We do use uh, we do use hydrogen in the uh, production of, of pellets, and we do use a uh, liquid hydrogen storage method because it's actually the um, the safer way to store hydrogen. If you store gaseous hydrogen, you need to do it at very high pressure. And the advantage of storing in the liquid state is it's actually a low pressure storage um, uh, tank. So we in the year 2000 actually we switched in Toronto from a gaseous storage to a liquid storage tank actually for that reason, because it's actually the safer way to do it. Uh, so it's stored at low pressure. Um, uh, storage of uh, gases like that are uh, very well controlled in terms of codes and standards, uh, industry standards, CSA standards, and, and international standards uh, for pressure vessels, uh, which defines requirements both for the design uh, and also for the, the maintenance and use. 
uh, and siting. So all of those things are in place uh, and it's managed uh, very tightly actually by, um, by our, um, our, our hydrogen supplier um, who maintains that tank for us. Great, thank you. All right, uh, winding down, uh, BWXT is asking neighborhoods adjacent to the plant to have faith in the company's expertise and safety record. Trust us, and I'm making air quotes here, trust us, you say. Why? Why should these neighborhoods trust you? Uh, I'll, uh, I'll take that, Bill. Um, you know, we, we are, our industry is extremely robust in nuclear safety culture. And, and we are highly regulated by the Canadian Nuclear Safety Commission. And, and we are in full compliance with all regulations. And, and, and we, we work here. We're proud to work here. And we, uh, we know, uh, firsthand how, uh, how safe BWXT is and how, how closely and stringently we're regulated. Um, and, and our, our annual compliance reports, which again are online, uh, demonstrate that our performance across all safety control areas um, are, are uh, you know, extremely uh, robust, and, and our performance is very strong. Uh, we were also um, we also participate in regulatory oversight uh, review uh, meetings with the regulator, um, usually in December every year, um, where those reports are reviewed in front of the commission and. And so it's a very transparent process. You know, our performance is extremely strong. Our commitment to safety is, is, uh, is, is unequivocal, and, and we are constantly improving our processes and programs, despite the fact that we're already um, extremely low uh, in our, our emissions. Um, again, as I mentioned, Peterborough, the near-zero emissions facility, Toronto, a mere 1% of, of the regulatory limits. So, you know, it, the facts speak for themselves. Um, we don't need the communities to trust us on our word. They can go and look at our performance and see that we are trustworthy. Okay, well, thank you very much for your time. Just in conclusion then, the school is safe. We would eat the fish from Little Lake in a few years. I'm seeing nodding. Yes, we would eat the fish in Little Lake. All right. So, uh, so Natalie Cutler, Ted Richardson, and David Snowpeck, thank you very much for your time, and see you again. <laughs>